is Angela, and this is the Homestead Education Podcast, where we talk all things homesteading, and we want to share our passion and experience for this lifestyle with you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Homestead Education. We're so glad you're here, and thank you for joining us today. We are always thankful to be a part of your day and that you share a portion of your time with us. Uh, Mandy? is obviously here with me, Angela, today, and we are going to be talking about introducing a dairy cow to the homestead. I think it's funny, in previous episodes, we chatted about bringing in a flock of birds, and now we're kind of jumping all the way into livestock keeping. Don't worry, season two, we'll scale it back a bit, and we'll talk about some of the smaller scale size Livestock. Mandy doesn't know this yet, but I've already created a sheet of ideas for season two, and I think sheep and goats are definitely going to be on it. Um, <laughs> but let, let's let's go big or go home today. We're going to talk about cows and why you would need a dairy cow on the homestead. I am learning with the rest of you because um, I don't think I've ever even pet a cow. Wait, well i I went to I went to an estancia in Argentina and I I milked a cow for a second. Like, like we're talking like pulled the teat once and was done. That's my extent of knowledge about cow husbandry. So let's talk to Mandy. Good morning, Mandy. Hi, everybody. Hi. Um, this is exciting. And, you know, I, before we even jump in, I think it's uh, like you said, go big or go home. We're kind of like jumping to like, you know, um, like the big one, the big guns. But it is um, I don't want to call it a fad at all. Um, I really do think that it's becoming more popular. Um, I think it's becoming more popular, even like you said, with like, uh, sheep and dairy goats, just in the way of folks, um, like taking control of their nutrition. Um, so I don't want to say, you know, whatever, this has been in the works for a long time for us. And you, you said you're learning. I'm definitely still learning. Um, but we did welcome, um, a Jersey calf here. Gosh, it's been a little bit over a month ago. So she's only about six months old. So we're not milking or anything yet. So we have a lot of time to figure everything out. Um, but um, I'll share everything that we researched and that I've tried to prepare um, for bringing her home. Uh, her name is Marjorie. Um, and she is the best thing on this planet. I think that's amazing. You named her Marjorie, but I also think before we dive too deep into this, this is not about running a cattle farm. This is not about having a hundred plus heads of cattle. This is falling in line with homesteading, taking control of your food source and security and a very intimate look at what just a couple of cows, if not just one, can do for you and your family. Mm-hmm. So I think you you mentioned you had a Jersey cow. Yes. Mandy. Yes. Um, I don't want to botch this up. Like I said, my knowledge of the bovines is limited. Um, if someone was interested in getting a dairy cow, where did they start when looking for breeds? Gosh. Um, I mean, there are certainly registrations just like with, with all animals. I mean, dogs, gosh, there are cat breed registration <laughs> websites and things like that. Um, but more so, uh, that's, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> um, 
but more so you, we see it with dairy goats or, you know, um, sheep, but you probably hear it more, um, with the, with the goat world and the homesteading community, um, American Dairy Goat Association, same thing with cattle. Um, they can be registered. Um, so that's a good place to start. Not to say that you have to have a registered animal, but you know, um, or you can hopefully, um, I guess, I don't want to say guarantee, but there's a little bit more of um, the ability to have good stock on, on you know, registered from or coming from a registered herd. But word of mouth. I mean, really, uh, there are so many family farms. So we sourced before we even brought Marge home, before the, the thought of Marge was even, I mean, there really, um, or the possibility, I should say. I've always wanted um, a dairy cow. But um, we source uh, raw milk from a family farm only about 15, 20 minutes from us. Um, and they started so very, very small and now they're huge and it's, you know, gosh, they have employees and in that whole business, but they do sell to family farms about five to six family milk cows a year that they kind of groom quote unquote, um, or they know that this, that, that specific cow or specific heifer would be, um, perfect for a family. So, I mean, it, there are a lot of avenues. I mean, just do your research, like with everything, you know, um, have a good head on your shoulders, go see the animal, you know, make sure it comes from a trusted farm or a trusted little family, you know, all, all the basics. Is it like with, um, purchasing a horse? Do you have to get like a pre-purchase exam? Do you need to get uh, Coggins or whatever that form of a sure. test might be for, for cattle? You don't have to. Um, no, there is not there or there are no um, like regulations per se. Certain states will have different regulations transporting animals across the state lines. Um, obviously it's never a bad idea to have the animal checked out from, you know, your vet or the, the family where the, the animal's coming from their vet. Um, but there's nothing that you have to have. Um, I guess that's a requirement. Uh, you know, like you said with horses, I mean, you're doing those and I don't know, I guess now that I think about it, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, a family milk cow is like, like walking around it's like gold walking around you know to a lot of people out there so um but no there there's no specific re requirement but definitely always recommended so you have a jersey can any cow be a milk cow i would assume that there are cows more suited to a dairy purpose and yeah. meat cows or beef cows just yeah. like there are with any other livestock breed right or species they they are bred to do certain things yeah so um all cows all the mammals so all the cattle that you see on the range or in a, a dairy farm they all produce milk right so they feed their young um they have to have a calf in order to produce milk just like we do um, and we don't have a calf that would be, oof, but we, you know, dairy goats, they have to be, they have to have kids before they have milk. So, you know, your beef cattle that are intended for food consumption and the beef industry, they still produce milk. We are just not consuming it. It's going straight and all just going to the calf. Um, the dairy industry is a little bit different. 
Um, and yeah, there are specific breeds that you're going to hear. I mean, most of the time, the the white and the black cows that you see, you know, in cartoons and movies, those are Holstein. They're going to be a larger breed. They're not typically um, found on family farms just because of their size. They do um, sometimes have a little bit of an attitude. And when I say attitude, not necessarily, I mean, a lot of people would probably argue that jerseys um, have an attitude, but it's more of like a sassy, playful attitude. Holsteins can just be um, kind of nasty sometimes, or I guess maybe more so in my experience. They're they're, they're great, um, but not necessarily suited for um, a family um, as a milk cow. And then Guernsey and Jersey are going to be your mo- most common um, breeds that you'll see found on a family farm or a small dairy. Guernsey are a little bit bigger. Um, and when I say a little bit bigger, I mean, we're talking, it's all very relative because they're all very large animals. I mean, 800 to 1,000 pounds, you know, give or take a couple hundred. It's, it's, they're all very big. Um, Guernseys, um, some folks say that they produce a much higher qual- quantity of butter fat. Um, you know, that is definitely nutrition related sometimes as well, but those are going to be the main ones. Um, Guernsey and Jersey, which are very similar in verbiage. So it's kind of hard to differentiate sometimes, but yes, we have a Jersey. Um, they also are mini jerseys are kind of a little bit, I will use the word fad here. Um, just like with any, you know, it's all just how that animal is bred, um, and their genetics. Um, but Marge is a standard Jersey cow. Okay. So if you're looking for more information on those breeds, just have a jump on Google. Mandy can probably include a few resources in the show Mm -hmm. notes. Um, I just ran a quick Google search uh, because, again, I'm not the expert on this particular topic. And I just came up with Holstein, Jersey, Guernsey. Those are the top three, like Mandy said. And then I also see Brown Swiss, Milking Mm -hmm. Shorthorn, Red and White Holstein, and Ayrshire. That's yep. probably not how we pronounce it. No, that, that is. That's right. Okay, excellent. Uh, that's my contribution to this episode. Okay, moving <laughs> along. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. Brown Swiss, I guess they could have mentioned, but they're just not very common in the United States. You see them more in like Canada and that region. Um, and that's just kind of like where animals are sourced in, um, you know, like the, the farms, the family farms in the continental U.S. What the fuck is A2A2? <laughs> We, this is hilarious. Uh, we were like planning this episode and Angela said that exact, she was like, okay. And I'm, I need to know like, what the fuck is A2A2? And I was like, <laughs> I need you to actually, um, ask me that, um, when we are recording. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there is A2A2 is like some weird, tiny little short sentence that's been circulating um, I guess around the dairy or more so like homestead community for the past couple of years and people it's very sought after um, in what I mean okay so we'll, let's just back up so it, it all basically has to go with or has to do with genetics in the cow um, A2A2 milk is sought after because it's um, known and studied to be more digestible um, it's all based on the beta casein protein. So it's kind of like how goat's milk, the protein globules are smaller than regular cow milk that you find at the grocery store or whatever you get from your your local dairy. Um, And that's why it's more digestible. Um, So 
your A1 beta casein protein produces a small seven amino acid peptide chain. It's called BCM7. And this is all during the, the digestion process of the human when we drink it. Okay. The A2 milk only has the A2 beta casein, which is not produced that BCM7 during digestion. So the BCM7, and don't, I mean, this is all just like stuff that we have studied prior to bringing Marge home and things like that. And just in, in effort of taking control of our nutrition. So I don't know, um, don't ask me a lot of like specific questions about the BCM7, but what that is, is it causes inflammation in your gut. Um, and so some folks um, and some studies and papers say that that leads or can contribute to a leaky gut, which obviously we know leaky gut causes just like systemic inflammation in your body. Um, because what it does or, or what it, what it, what I understand it to do is it allows those undigested proteins, um, and like bacteria and yeast to get into your bloodstream. Um, okay. So, um, a two milk differs from your quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes, your standard milk that you get just at the case at the, at the grocery store because of that beta casein protein. The two major proteins found in milk are casein and whey, okay? So you hear the word whey associated with milk a lot. Um, so I hope that's kind of ringing a bell for some of you. The casein accounts for about 82% of the protein in the milk. So that's a huge amount, um, a percentage. So if you circle back to how, uh, what we were talking about at the very beginning with the store-bought milk, the A1 beta casein, and producing that BCM7, um, and that's what can contribute to your leaky gut. So the beta casein makes up about 30% of the, the cow's total protein in the milk. A1 and A2 are going to be the most common variants of that beta casein. Um, basically, what that is, is a string of amino acids. Okay, so I don't know if we're getting like way too science-y. Um, but this all just has to, I mean, it's all genetics, really. Like if you can think about all the way back into elementary school, or middle school or whatever, when we studied, started to study like the periodic table and then you got into like drawing certain, um, you know, peptide chains and stuff like that. This is all, if you can kind of picture it, it might help. Um, it, and it, uh, the difference with the A1 and the A2 is just the position. So it's kind of like how, some people are going to have blue eyes and some people are going to have brown eyes. It's all just about like one little tiny change. Um, yeah. So it, it might over your head or no, the people, the, the people like the facts. Yeah. But so to make sure I'm understanding this correctly, A2A2 has to do with a peptide chain that essentially makes milk. Mm -hmm. more digestible and or easier on the gut. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, essentially, yeah, that, that's the A2 milk differs from your standard milk. So your A1, typically you're going to find A1, A1 and you, and you can have A1, A2. Um, uh, and we can talk about how you find that out too, but your A2, A2 differs from your standard milk. The A1, A1 would be what we're going to call standard. Um, because of that beta casein protein. 
So that change in that, that protein is what makes it more digestible, I guess, in very just like condensed non-sciencey um, way of explaining it. And so these cows that are A2A2 are more sought after because their milk product mm-hmm. is easier on people. Correct. Yeah. A2 milk only has that A2 beta casein, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what does not produce mm-hmm. that BCM7, which is right. that BCM7 is what causes or is, is said to cause leaky gut, just inflammation, you know, like um, some lactose intolerant situations and things like that, um, or just like body inflammation. Yeah. So if a family decides to take on a dairy cow and maybe there's a person in the family that tends to run a little lactose sensitive. Yes. The A2 would be a good fit for them. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, really when we talk about the, um, so, I mean, the history of A2 milk is not really that old. Um, it, and it, it gets a little bit complex based off of, I mean, if we just start you're talking about in the United States, I mean, you know, cattle have been crossbred and all sorts of stuff like that, especially Holsteins have been crossbred a lot um, to increase milk production. And so a lot of the, our milk chain in the United States actually contains more um, than about 50-ish percent of that A1 beta casein. So um, it's all about how these animals are then bred to make A2A2 milk, essentially. So your Guernseys now in the United States um, actually, and we kind of talked about this the other day. So, I mean, there's a chance, regardless of if you know you're getting your cow from um, a farm that ha- you know has tested their, their herd and they can say their A2A2 herd, um, Guernseys have a very high percentage of carrying those two genes, right? So an A2A2 genotype, mm-hmm. um, it's like 85, 90%, um, just because of how they've been crossbred and now in, in bred in the United States, your, our purebred jerseys, which in my opinion, are going to be the, the most common, you know, family milk cow found or the most common breed have like a 60 ish percent, 50 to 70, we can say percent of likelihood of being A2A2. Um, but more jerseys have been crossbred with Holsteins along the line. So um, that's why it's a little bit lower than, than your Guernseys. So the only way that you can know, the absolute only way that you can know if your cow, if one specific cow is A2A2 is to have it genetically tested. Um, and, uh, it, it's not as hard as it seems. It seems like, oh gosh, that seems terrible or very hard, but you just submit hair follicles. Just hair follicles. And mm-hmm. in your case, we had talked about this prior to the show today. Mandy knew that she was for sure getting an A2A2, uh, cow because, um, like we kind of touched on before the cow was registered. It came from a register herd. Correct. Yeah. Would there be any reason to have her retested? I think that maybe just inquiring minds, it's kind of just like a very cool process to me because I think that you do get like that actual genotype map. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I, I do not believe it is, I, I believe it's relatively inexpensive. Um, but, you know, again, I guess, I mean, March came from a very trusted person. I mean, that we know. And so, um, no, I guess in, in theory, there's no reason to test her. I think we probably will just because I think it's super cool. Um, but you know, even if they do come from 
um, a registered herd and things like that. I mean, I know that family from that, that I was talking about, not very far away from us. They, um, they genetically test all their whole herd. I mean, they're, they're very, very, very awesome family. They have tested, um, Guernsey cows. I mean, Guernsey cows. So remember I said about 90% of them in the United States with our A2A2, they have A1A1 and they, and they have seen Holsteins that are A2A2. So, I mean, it's not, um, it's not necessary all the way back to what you were saying about like pre-purchase things like that. But yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's cool. I want to kind of stay on the science theme just real quick. You all bear with us because I want to talk about the actual process of getting milk, which requires yeah a, a cow to be pregnant. You're not yeah. going to, you can bring that home a dairy cow. You're not going to produce dairy until they create offspring. And then after that, we'll, we'll switch gears kind of, and we'll talk about, diet, how we need to set up for our dairy cow, what does the shelter look like, but let's just kind of stay in the science world for a second. So you have Marge. Yeah. She's young. Yes. At some point when you're ready or, and when she's ready, physically able to deliver a calf, yeah. she will have to be impregnated. And I, I not only want to talk about the process of doing that, obviously bull purchasing semen or, you know, artificial insemination. Yeah. I, I want to touch on those pieces. But I also, for a lot of people out there, do want to touch on what can be a hot button topic, but we're not going to make it a hot button topic. We're just having a conversation. You have to share the milk with oh. the young or replace with a milk supplement for the young so you can then take the milk. And I kind of want to talk about what that looks like. So first of all, yeah. when are you going to get Marge knocked up? <laughs> so she's six months. It is. Um so it's a little bit different than the beef industry where in, in the timing that you're aiming for them to have their first calf and every operation is different. I will just say that because it's just different. But given that she is, uh, we, we're not a dairy, we're not like pushing for milk or anything like that. Um, we're shooting for next fall. Um, and so we're shooting for about her to calf anywhere from about 16 to 20 months of age. So over a year. So that, um, the beef industry sometimes will, I mean, a lot of, uh, they're shooting for the first calf to be underground about 14 ish months. And again, it's all very dependent on, you know, individual operations or, um, you know, regions in the United States. So, I mean, the, I mean, the calf, when I say the calf is on the ground, the calf has been born. So we have to back up nine months because that's how long it's like nine months in a couple of days. Basically human gestation is how long a cow is pregnant um, or a heifer. So heifer is obviously a cow that's never had a baby. And then after they've had a baby, then we can call them a cow. So that's a little bit of the lingo. Um, and then, yeah. So after um, the whole idea around having a family milk cow is to have milk, right? I mean, like that's, the, that is what it is. So um, not hot button topic at all. Um, but yeah, it's called calf sharing. We do it with our, um, with our goat kids, we call it kid sharing. So it, you probably have heard me talk about it with the, with the goats. It's obviously much different in cattle, but, um, with the goats, we leave them with their, their mamas for three weeks. They have full time. And then we start separating them at night. So they're not separated forever. They're separated for half the day. And then essentially the thought of calf sharing or kid sharing is that, um, 
And this is when they've, they've, they've started to drink water. They probably have started to like nibble on some creep or some hay or some grain or whatever, you, whatever you do. Um, and then you milk that cow um, or that animal in the morning. Let's just go with, with our setup. You would milk them in the morning, but you wouldn't milk them out. So you would not take all the milk, take about half, whatever. I mean, it kind of, you'll, you'll get the, the gist of it depending on how much your animal produces and stuff like that you take half of the milk and you leave half of the milk for the babies. That is 200% enough. Um, I think that, like you said, it's also, I mean, I, I would be remiss if I didn't even note that some operations you bought, I mean, it, some people want to bottle raise their calves and there's nothing wrong with that. As long as that calf has colostrum, great, good. Um, and then some people will pull um, there are so many reasons why that happens and you all, I mean, um, not to be controversial or anything like that, but what is the saying that is best? I mean, yeah, it's, it's true. Um, so that is a little bit, I mean, that is capturing. We absolutely will capture because if you don't, um, I mean, you are essentially raising a toddler into basically like a teenager and not reaping any of the benefits for a lack of better explanation. And again, circling back, that's why you made this decision to get a milk cow, right? So, um, yeah. What I love about this is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not the cow person, we <laughs> hear these horror stories, yeah. these, these horror stories of, oh, um, this this dairy farm wanted the milk they ripped they use that word they ripped the babies away from their mothers and they you know they're crying for each other on the other sides of the fence and you create these horrible images of separation and what is great about homesteading is you can make it intimate and however you want it to be you don't have to take all the milk right you can give some to the kids there is no ripping away from the mother they're still raising their young yes um it's not so dramatic right definitely not dramatic and i mean the they're gonna cry anyway so that's probably something that, that's noteworthy i mean they ball and whatever i mean yeah but it, it's not as dramatic as it seems and again we could we could talk about this but um you know they it, these family dairies and family farms or whatever, they're so very responsible. I mean, people literally work 24 hours a day to take care of the animals, literally, like I'm not kidding, 24 hours a day. Um, and it, it's their livelihood. It's the reason they signed up for it. Like it's their job. Like, um, so yeah, it's not as dramatic as it seems. And, um, when we start to cap share, we'll, sh we'll share the process. Like we, I mean, we do it with our goats right now and the babies are happy and thriving and fat and healthy. And it's, it's a win-win all around. I think it's, it's worth stating specifically with you. I can't speak for another homesteader, but Mandy would never do anything that would put any of her animals in danger or in harm's way. She makes it a priority to make sure that her animals are well cared for with their diet, with their food, milk, whatever they need, hay and forage intake. So I just want to be very clear from the person who doesn't eat animal products, really. This is a wonderful setup. You're meeting the needs not only of the calves and the goat kids, you are also able to have dairy for your family. Yes. It's and a win-win you know, for everybody. Yes, it is. And uh, I mean, there are 
yeah, I mean, there are a lot of reasons. Like we said, you know, when those calves get older, same thing with your like goats, they get, they like, you know, they, they have teeth <laughs> or they, and they start to like beat, you know, so there, there are, I know. And I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, good job. Know. Yes. Okay. So how are you going to impregnate March? If I could ask, are you going to do a bull? Are you going to do artificial insemination? Yeah, we're going to actually do sex to semen. Okay. Just like so wild. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, but it's something it, it is. So <laughs> it's what it sounds like. Um, and so a lot of, a lot of, um, small dairies or family dairies will do that. Um, uh, instead of like life cover with a bull because you're just doing it for one or, you know, like a handful of cows. And the idea there is obviously then there's a much, much, much higher chance that you're going to produce a heifer calf, which would be another female calf that then you can raise for milk or what have you. If it doesn't necessarily matter, you can just, you can also artificial inseminate without it being sexed, um, semen or just do live cover. I mean, I, uh, yeah, it, I mean, I, we don't have a bull. I would have no idea where to shop for, for a bull. It's a little bit different. Like when we, we can bring a buck home for our goats because we can put that in like, you know, the truck. I can't necessarily, you know, I don't want to haul a bull over here. And that's, a, that's a whole nother ball game, but that's, that's going to be more your large scale dairies. They just turn a bull out you, or obviously in beef operations. That what, that's what they do, but we will actually be doing it. I will be doing it with our veterinarian and um, it is a very simple, painless process and voila. Is there a limit to how many times you can impregnate a cow? You mean like the longevity of their, like their lifespan? Of- yeah. Like, would you have to say, we really need to impregnate Marge with sex semen so we get another heifer because she can only have one more cow after this, or she, maybe she can have 10 no. more babies after this. Is there a limit? Um, well, yeah. I mean, as there are any, like with any animal, right. You don't want them to, I mean, you, you would want to pay attention to just their overall general health and, and age being a part of that. Um, and so, but I've seen you know, up, gosh, nine, eight, nine, ten years old. It kind of just depends. I mean, it, it, it their lifespan is longer than dogs. Um, I guess if we're if we're comparing it to something that you know you see, dogs live to be about twelve years old or something like that. But yeah, I mean, it, it would be definitely individual to the animal. Okay, so I hope this has provided some good science foundation for those of you listening today. Um, Mandy is so great to talk to you about this because she just got set up for Marge. <laughs> she just went from, I don't have a place for Marge to here comes Marge. Yep. So can you talk to us about what do we do when we're yeah. ready to bring one home? I mean, obviously before even considering it, before even considering any animal, you need to make sure you have the space and the setup. I mean, people ask often, you know, I think, uh, I keep going back to goats, but it's a little bit more, um, not, not sought after, but just more well-known in the homesteading community and people, it's kind of like the natural progression, birds, goats, you know, whatever. Um, and the people are like, well, can I, you know, I'm going to bring my goats home and then do temporary fencing or something like that. Y'all just don't do that. Just don't do temporary things like be ready before you bring anything home, especially an animal that's going to be a thousand pounds. I mean, 
it is just to be prepared in this lifestyle. And we're talking like a year in advance, like just do it. It's, you will thank yourself, um, for the rest of your life. So, I mean, space obviously has to be taken into consideration in regards to like how many acres do you have or how, like, what is the space the rule of thumb that we learned in school? And this is more geared towards beef production because you hear like a calf or a cow calf pair. Um, so they're, you know, they're raised together on the range or whatever. Um, they need about an acre and a half to two acres for every cow calf pair. Um, and that's, you know, that's just basic pasture grass. Every, every situation will be different. Marshes with the dairy goats are on a little bit more than a, like two and a quarter acres. Um, goats are browsers and are, you know, so they, they eat the pasture together. They eat a little bit of different things. Um, but we also feed hay. So if you, if you have the ability to feed hay, um, and you have a good setup, good shelter, and obviously water, you can keep a you can keep a family dairy cow on an acre. Um, I personally, I don't know that I would do a whole bunch more than that because obviously when you get into smaller spaces, you can feed and keep their body condition up. And that, that's still a, a great, you know, even if it was like a half of an acre, um, that would be getting really, really small. You wouldn't necessarily be able to keep a lot of other animals with that cow, but also your, your management is going to be so incredibly intense that it, it might become like too much. And when I say management, I'm talking about the like manure management. How so, do you manage that? Are you doing a compost heap for that? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, um, it, I mean, she, or my gosh, the poop is actually so easy to pick up and I cannot wait to be adding this to our, or we are adding it to the compost. I can't wait to be adding the, this compost to the garden, um, in the spring, but yeah, we just do basic cleanup. No, we do not scoop the full pasture. I will, we like pull it a couple times a year um, or harrow it or whatever you want to call it. Um, we've like made something. So it's not, it's it's definitely a DIY, but it's just something, well, what it is, I'll tell you. It's chain link fence um, that we drag behind the tractor. And it just kind of like spreads um, the manure around. And Anyway, but we pick it up in the barn. I pick it up every day and I pick it up like by the gate and where we walk and things like that. And yeah, we're composting it. It's a good question that I often get it with the horses as well. As, and the other day, somebody, I had taken a picture and posted it on Instagram of the horses in the field. I thought it was really bucolic and picturesque. And somebody was like, there's a lot of manure there. Well, it's real life. I mean, there's going to be manure. That's what they do. I mean, uh, Yes. We, we drag ours out too. We have a drag that we pull behind a four wheeler. Sometimes if I'm feeling extra ambitious, I'll, I'll have one of the horses. Yeah. I, I like the irony of them dragging out their own manure, but anyway, okay. Back on track. <laughs> um, all right. So I, maybe this will change as you get towards, um, lactation, but what are their supplemental requirements, yeah. nutrition, feed, that sort of thing? Sure. I mean, right now, um, just given her age and whatever, I mean, you want to aim for about, for right now, um, we're aiming for about 2%, um, one and a half to two and a half percent is kind of the gauge you want to go for. So just cut it in the middle, 2% body weight for her calf grower ration. So her grain, um, you with dairy cattle, um, some folks are, a lot of people always say they look too skinny. You know, there's a fine line of keeping that body condition score right there in, in the sweet spot. You don't want them to be too fat. You don't want them to be too skinny. So you can adjust that grain ration 
um, you know, as you see fit, but that's about, that's, that's about 2% of their body weight in pounds that you're feeding and grain and then free choice, hay or pasture. Um, so I mean, if we talk about flakes and that's an easy way for folks to, we, we go through now with Marge, um, one horse and then the goats, we go through about a, a bale of hay a day. I mean, she, she eats by herself, five, probably five flakes alone and then her grain and then there, and then the pasture. Um, mm-hmm. and that will increase as the ground totally freezes. So it, it's going to be totally different based off of your setup. Do you feed hay year round? Do you, as I do fortunate have to have like pasture year round? Do you move them to, you know, corn? It's, there's so many things. Dairy, dairy, um, cattle have a little bit of a different, um, nutritional, I guess, plan than beef cattle. So they're not the same. Um, but I encourage you, I mean, obviously work with people who have raised dairy cattle, work with, you know, your vet or something like that, but that's what we're doing. And then the basic, obviously mineral water, salt, lick, and, and water. So I think the last thing to kind of touch on, and then poor Mandy can go get a lozenge because she's been doing all the talking <laughs> this episode. I feel bad. Um, if somebody is, maybe, maybe they don't start with a young heifer. And they get a dairy cow that's already been bred yes, and she's good to go. Can you kind of talk through what somebody might need to get set up for milk? And also, I guess we didn't touch on shelter. Margie's yeah. in your barn. Yeah. Um, does she have bedding in there? Yeah. Um, they have a, a big stall. So the goats can actually lay with her as well, but yeah, there's, there's bedding. Um, and then I mean to whatever, whatever works for, or what, you know, whatever setup you have, as long as they have, um, a dry place to get out of the, the weather, a dry place, right. You don't want the, the snow or the rain to be able to coming through. So in, in you, like we have, if our, we have openings they are typically going to be South facing just based off of the wind and the cold. Um, yeah, they, they need a place and you don't want to be milking in the pasture in the rain or, you know, that, that wouldn't happen. It just, it just wouldn't happen. Good luck to you. Okay. Um, so that, that's what I was going to ask and what I was getting at. So you would milk in their stall. Yeah. We'll milk her in her stall. Um, okay. we've been halter trained and hopefully she'll just like stand and you can build, you know, stanchions or, you know, milk, milk stanchions where they kind of just know they walk in and they know their routine. The goats know their routine. Every single one of them, they get on the stand in order. So it's just, they, they're smart. They figure it out. So then when you're ready to milk, whatever you have, you, you have a a bread, a bread cow or one who just calfed, um, milk safety is obviously very key. Um, and we will, we will milk twice a day and then we will definitely be weaning her down to once a day. That's personal choice. Um, not every cow can do it. Not every goat can do it. We milk our goats one time a day because it, we still want that ability to go do stuff. We talked about it in previous episode about how we like to go out to dinner and, you know, definitely you have a, a much more of a routine. We have a milk animal. I'm up every morning. Doesn't matter. I'm always going to do morning chores. We're going to milk in the morning. Sometimes in the evening we're out, we are doing things. We have friends over, whatever it is. I don't want that strict routine to have to milk on that 12 hour schedule. Yes. You get less milk when you milk once a day. Um, but these, 
depending on the, the, the cow that you're milking, I mean, you're getting gallons of milk a day still. So it's not most likely for most of these, uh, uh, you know, small families, it's not going to be an issue. Um, that that's still a lot of milk to be able to do everything you want with it, you know, drink it raw cheese, yogurt, whatever. Um, so back to milk handling and milk safety, obviously you want to make sure that they're clean, um, no wounds or anything on the teats, whatever. A lot of folks will feed when they are milking. So they stand still, um, and clean off that whole udder, clean the teats. A lot of folks will do like an iodine dip prior to, or whatever you want to do, wipe it. You just don't want to introduce bacteria up into the teat. Makes sense. Um, and then we have two hands, they have four teats. So you milk a lot of, a lot of people just milk one side and one side and the other. Some people will milk two people at the same time. If you're so lucky to have a partner that can do chores with you every day, I think that is like very few and far between, but, um, and then you just switch to the other side and then you make sure that you then we use something called fight back. Um, you just spray, it's like a chlorhexidine solution to kind of you've touched the tea, there's dust and dirt and poop everywhere in the barn. And this will kind of just gives it like a clean seal, uh, air quote, if you will. And then they're good to go. And then you just turn them out and they go about their day. Turn them out. And then you have all your milk, right? So it's best to chill it as soon as possible. Uh, I always say a lot of within 30 minutes, if you can. So I try to milk as my like last chore. Everybody's had their food. The dogs are fed. Everybody else prior to going down to the dairy barn, they're all fed. And then I'm milking and literally I'm going right back up to the house. And then you filter it, cheesecloth, milk filter, whatever it is, put it in your glass bottles and then you put it in the fridge. Um, A lot of times with, uh, or some folks will say with raw milk, you can like flash, not freeze it necessarily, but you really get it like very, very chilled, flash chill, I think is what it's actually called. Um, and some people say that then your, your raw milk will last longer in the fridge. Um, cause typically it's only about, it's about a week because obviously not pasteurized or anything like that. That's a whole nother conversation drinking raw milk. Right. But, um, yeah. And then gosh, you share it with your friends, you make butter, you make cheese. cheese. I mean, so many things, right. It is, it is such a blessing to be able to um, we, I talk about it a lot with Zazu. It's like literally an honor to be one with such a large animal. I mean, a relationship with human and horse, I think is different than anything ever known. Um, but it's also so, it's so, um, it's such a blessing to, uh, be raising this calf and know that she's going to be so large and she really could hurt us, um, badly. And we get to lay down with her and then she's going to provide for our family for years and years to come. And, um, yeah, it's circling back, I guess, to all the way in the beginning why we chose to go with a milk cow, because it is definitely more of a commitment, obviously, than a small animal, just literally in regard to size, if we only wanted to pick one thing. I mean, having large animals is very different than having smaller animals, dairy or non-dairy, because of their requirements in regard to food, shelter, money, right? It takes a lot more to feed a large animal to do it right. But we, you know, made the decision. We know that this is is best for our family and our friends. And um, yeah, I'm just really excited. To, definitely excited for next year. And then the year after. <laughs> Seems like it's forever to wait, but it will be here before we know it. 
Last quick question I just thought of before we wrap up. Do you have to do farrier visits for cattle? Yeah, so they definitely, um, they they get their hooves trimmed. Yeah. They do? Yeah. So uh, there are some really awesome videos. Um, they'll like at big dairies, they'll like walk into this like stanchion looking thing or shoot looking thing, I should say. And they kind of like flip on their side, like tip on their side. It's like a roller coaster, like an, at an amusement park. And then so they're off their feet. And, um, yeah, and somebody can, can come there. It's like, it's a full-time job. Folks will travel and do it. It's so, so cool. But yeah, hoof, I mean, it's the basic stuff. Absolutely. Hoof care. Um, they they don't get their teeth really floated like horses do if we're comparing them to that, but yeah, they need all the good stuff. They're providing so much for you. Right. So you want to make sure to get them vaccinations, vet checks, that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you can get on a schedule with your veterinarian. Absolutely. Marge just went to the vet and she was all checked out and she's, she's good to rock and roll. And she's, um, so sassy. What's not what I was going to say, but she's like, she's so, it is so fun to watch these large animals run and frolic and yeah, it's a, it's a blessing for sure. All right. Well, we want to thank you all so much for joining us today. And Mandy, a special thank you to you for allowing me to interrogate you about introducing a dairy cow. Um, So cool. Love these relationships between humans and animals where you're just providing for each other. It's just awesome. Mm -hmm. And it all comes back to why we homestead to begin with. All right. Have the best day, everyone. We will see you again soon. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Homestead Education Podcast. Any relevant material will be put in the show notes. We hope you'll share our episodes and also click that subscribe button. For more information about this podcast, you can visit us on Instagram at Homestead Education Podcast. Angela can be found online at axeandroothomestead.com and on Instagram at axeandroothomestead. Mandy can also be found online at thefarmermandy.com and on Instagram at Wild Oak Farms. We'll see you next time.